hello there! Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff. I can't do it for the whole show. Anyway, uh, hi everyone. Welcome to the show. This Week in Mormons, Jeff Openshaw here, your founder. Very happy to be here with all of you this week. Please go to thisweekinmormons.com. Find us on social media. The big hitters, primarily, but not TikTok, because what am I going to do on TikTok that's pertaining to this show? I don't even know what it would be. Just videos of me going like this, just like rocking back and forth with my headphones. I don't know what it would be, Kurt. I'm terrible at this. But anyways, <laughs> uh, and if you haven't subscribed to this show, please do right now. Hit that subscribe button wherever you are. Hit it. Hit it right now. Do bing. that. That bing, would be bing. cool of you. The person over there making bing. onomatopoeia is <laughs> none other than great friend of the show and just a very nice person. Oh, of, go leading, on, of leading saints, Kurt Franken is here. What's up? Buddy? Yes, and I will be doing a Utah accent for the entire episode today. Can you dial that in like effortlessly? Because I'd actually be all for that. If well, you, you know, I I, I tend to leave out my T's at times when I go to the Leighton Temple before I go hunting, hunt hunting, hunting for milk on my pillow. Pillow, so, pillow is one of my my. See, yeah. it's funny. It's funny how how little isms like that can translate because my wife was born and raised in San Diego. Her dad was born in Salina, central Utah, right? But it only only as like a kid. Then he moved to Southern California. But he says words like milk, for example. Milk. Mm-hmm. And my wife picked up on that. She lived in Utah for basically school and a little bit more. But she says milk today, not being a Utah in herself. But wow. it's funny how things Bless like her. that. Yeah, it's funny. I think it's so <laughs> interesting how we can like carry things like that yeah. uh, across generations even outside of the area right it's so uh, so jeff you uh the, the holidays are coming what are you guys doing for thanksgiving uh probably going to see family in charlottesville oh you know, yeah that's usually our jam so we uh is we'll it pop- uh you have a sister there or what? i forget i've got a sister-in-law my wife's sister lives down oh, there okay and i've got a cousin down there as well and her kids so and how long is that drive usually about hour 45 i would say nice. on average take the highway down there hang out stay the night should be good i'm i'm uh Unlike in many years past, I actually have Friday off, so I'm very so I'm just going to party the whole weekend. It's going to be and uh, d- any particular like, are you a snob when it comes to certain Thanksgiving foods? Or, I'm a snob uh, when it comes to most like, things, as you know. <laughs> right, just, and that's why I bring it up. Gen- Jeff. Just in general, <laughs> am I a snob with Thanksgiving food? I don't I mean, think so. No, uh, I appreciate a nice meal. You know, however, uh, we're not usually um, tasked with turkey. Or anything like that. Yeah. But I mean, um, why would they trust you with su- such a tall order? Because I'd probably I'd do a dynamite job with it. You, mostly because I'm not hosting. And basically, whoever right. hosts has to do the yeah, turkey. Yeah, you don't course. want someone to cook a turkey and then transport it an hour and a half <laughs> right. to your house. Right. That doesn't do the job. So uh, so there's nothing though like a, you, you, a go-to yams recipe or... Well, no, there's some. My my wife will make um, sweet potato casserole, whatever you mm-hmm. call it. I don't know if it's okay. casserole. The kind that's like loaded with sugar. It's essentially yeah, yeah. a dessert. It's got, mm-hmm. you know, toasted marshmallows and mar- sometimes marshmallows, whatever, those, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. She makes a very good version of that. Uh, and I greatly look forward to that. I'm sure we will have some delicious turkey. I'm a very good mashed potato maker. So I imagine I'll, I will be put to uh, put to work. Nice. Making I, some I, ro- roasted I, garlic mashed potatoes, maybe. Probably oof, do that. Ooh. I'm, I'm, I'm do, you ever, do you roast your own garlic, Kurt? Uh, I, I think we have at one point in my uh, I mean, Most people do all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, it's mm-hmm. the best. You cut off a little bit of the head, wrap it in foil, drizzle it with some EVOO, as the great Ooh. Rachel Ray would say. And then just, Ooh. I go low and slow, 300 degrees for one hour, then turn off the heat and leave it in there and let uh-huh. it do some carryover for a bit. You get, you, try it, everyone. I mean, your oven, everyone's oven is different, but 
you can spread that on toast or you can take all of them and put them into some mashed potatoes. And that's Sounds great. like we need a, a, a special YouTube video on the Twim site about Jeff's Thanksgiving favorites. I don't think anyone want, would. Why? <laughs> We've established it already. Your people demand it, Jeff. Old, and, long, and, uh, old California friends would know my famous garlic bread. That was a whole other mm. thing. I never mm. liked garlic bread, right? When you get it at a restaurant or whatever, you know, and it's really crusty and dry. They call it garlic bread, but it's basically just like some kind of Italian loaf that's been sliced you want, into a you little want slice, and the, top, and the top of it's all crunchy. No, I think it should be soft and delicious. Mm. So I had this dynamite concoction that I made up, slice the whole loaf up and cram it back together and then drizzle it all over the top and wrap it in foil and put it in the oven and it becomes this high calorie garlic bomb that is outstanding. <laughs> it's, it's mostly butter, but there's some bread in there. There's a lot of stuff in it. It is, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, I haven't made it for years. There's a lot going on in that bread. Nice. It is something very special. Nice. Anyway, holidays should be fun. Then Christmas, you know, it'll just be Christmas. Yeah. You know, it's just Christmas. It's just celebrating the birth of our Savior. It's just right. Like, it's beautiful. I'm curious how it'll be here because um, obviously the DC Temple's been closed for years. They've still done the Festival of Lights, but this year they can't, not because of the rededication that's finally coming next year, but because they're doing road work on the roads around the neighborhood and the temple. And they just can't feasibly have an event like that when the roads are all under construction. So it's not happening this year. No Festival of Lights, bit of a bummer. But uh, we're trying to figure out what that means elsewhere for Christmas festivities. Yeah, you gotta, on you gotta a take your boys level. somewhere, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Do you do do, do uh, you make sure they get a, a a Santa visit of some type, like uh, the pictures and sitting on his lap? Is that a? I don't a think I'm gonna have my kids sit on any strangers' laps um, in this current environment. Hey. I'm I'm avoiding random touch <laughs> as much as I can. Still, I mean, just to be smart or random breathing more. Like I think we've kind of gotten past the touch fears, but just the breathing, right? The breathing, the breathing thing, yeah. The people, okay. the breathing. So I don't think we're gonna do that. And even if we have a ward Christmas party, Santa has been verbot verboten. I'm gonna say verboten the roller coaster verboten uh, at our ward Christmas parties because there is a very vocal minority who is anti Santa and does not want him at a <laughs> oh boy. An event. I, that is, was a... I, I've, I've brought this up before on the show. I think I have. And I'd love to hear from the listeners if, like, do you experience this? Do, do you? Ha- it's one thing if you just don't do Santa because it's like, no, nah, like we're focused on the Savior. We're not doing Santa. It's another one. There's people who, who militantly say, no, we don't believe in Santa. We don't teach our kids about Santa. Right. And we don't want that at a ward party. Yeah. That's what I've they seen. They make the is- other kids in primary cry and, uh, you know. Which is, it's, that's, to me, it's mostly interesting, but um, I've even been to meeting once. Somebody was speaking once at church, I think, and somebody, well, you could hear some kid go, Mom, is that the one who you said doesn't tell their, tells their kid Santa's not real? <laughs> and you hear these parents just go, shh, shh, shh. please. <laughs> I nice. think that happened, if memory nice. serves. I don't yeah, know. Anyway, uh, I've talked a lot about me, though. Yeah, so we're just going to, it's going to be great. Holidays are good. You know, Virginia's pretty in the fall. It's fun. And uh, yeah, how are you doing? What's going on up there? And Well, here, uh, you know, it's extremely warm. Uh, it felt like uh, April out there today, but uh, Liar. Uh, rumor has it's going to cool off. But uh, so I've been enjoying the uh, fall uh, so far and uh, put a fence in my yard and uh, Whoa. I'm just feeling very manly and I'm doing such tasks, you know, <laughs> providing for my family, keeping the the wolves out of my yard, as uh, I like to think. And uh, but you know, we're good here. Just looking for the forward to the holidays, and uh, you know, day to day, just uh, 
so, trying to solve the world's problems yeah. through leading how, saints. So. Yeah, how is leading saints? What's going on? Any new summits? Anything's going on? Or yeah, is, the, or do, you, the, do you quiet up for the fall and let people enjoy the holiday? So one one thing that's like, because you're probably going to post this uh, tomorrow, which would be Tuesday, right? That would be the hope. That would yeah. be the hope. We'll see how this goes the rest of the show. <laughs> we'll touch and go, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, so tomorrow night, so Tuesday night, um, we're, we're uh, I went through this program called uh, Three Practices, and it's like this, uh, have you heard of this? Yeah, AA, yeah. Sure. AA? No, no, it's not AA. <laughs> no, see, this is what's, where you... what's the stage when you apologize for having wronged me? <clears throat> no, Jeff, this okay, is that's Alcohols Anonymous. This is three oh, practices. Doing, is, is this some kind of Stephen R. Covey cult? Is that what this is? No. Okay. This Tell is me more. <laughs> it is not. Or should I just keep guessing? <laughs> oh my gosh! I'll link. I'll send you a TED Talk, Jeff, that gives you more information. But basically, it's a. It's a method of getting people together and talking about really difficult things so that individuals feel heard. Okay. So I'll, I'll send you the link, Jeff, but people should join. Like that too. I hope you say it like that when it starts. So people feel heard. Okay. You okay. whiners. All right. All right. Anyway, that's, so, that, that's good for you because I know you care a lot about being people being heard. That's That's something like. I know that's part of your ethos. I I, I, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. No, I'm serious. I think that's good. Like that, that plays to your strength. That's good. <laughs> that's right. So, but, I mean, do you know uh, David Osler? He's. Yeah. Uh, I I will be will be co-facilitating this this effort tomorrow. As a side and, note, I'm assuming is he not related to Richard Osler? Because I think there's a yeah, lot of prominent his, his Richard brother. Yeah, because there's I feel like there's a handful of prominent Oslers and none of them are related. So that's good. I'm oh, glad to see. Yeah, they're, they're related. He uh, David Osler wrote the book Bridges. If you haven't read Bridges, uh, go to your local church bookstore and read that book. Um, anyway, so we're doing. This uh, is Kurt assuming everyone has church bookstores nearby. Folks, just buy oh, it. Come on. Or go to Amazon and get it in two days. So, um, so this one's going to be all about, uh, let's see. They, uh, Ministering to those who question. Oh, that's the book. Um, yeah, but David just about like people's experience at church and whether they feel included and whatnot. I wish I had the exact title in front of me, but anyways, that's, it'll be hey, good. That sounds cool. I'll give you the link so people can check it out. And then our next virtual summit is, uh, young saints where we're talking about, uh, leading, the rising generation, how to, you know, the dynamics of leading youth. And so, uh, are you actually going to get youth involved? Is this oh. going to be a new, is this a new thing? Like, I don't know of any youth programming you've done before. So I'm curious. If yeah. You're actually yeah. Have- so I'm making sure we have many youth on the agenda who will be presenting and, um, speaking. It'd be cool. So that's I, awesome. Yeah. I'm excited about it. So that's what's going on here in leading saints world and in the world of Utah. Um, and by the way, don't feel bad for saying Leighton. I say Leighton. It yeah. sounds normal, Leighton. No, I'm, 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 getting myself, I, I'm training I myself out of it. I don't say Leighton or Leighton. I go to the mountain. I don't know. Maybe I'm partially Utah as well. I don't know. You know, Leighton, Leighton Mountain yeah, yeah. is normal. But I don't say hunting. I hunting. definitely say I'm going hunting. To be clear, I've never <laughs> said I'm going hunting. But if I were to say those words. <laughs> Other than when you're just wanting to uh, demonstrate how you say hunting. I would pronounce, <laughs> the, I would say hunting. I would say I'm not super into hunting. That's what right, I would that, say. There's a good, yeah, that fits. Uh, by the way. Quick follow-up from our show about two weeks ago. Um, we brought up for some... I don't remember all the context already because these things are all... These shows leave my mind after about a day because there's been way too many of them. But uh, we were speaking about vasectomies and how <laughs> and how they used to be not... The handbook apparently used to not just... It's, it said you had to like counsel with your bishop before getting one. Not that you just should... It's a prayerful thing you need to do yourself. It's like, no, you need to like talk to your bishop before you... 
get that. So I asked the listener base if anybody had done that. I actually received a number of emails in response. Many pe- men who have had uh, vasectomies and sp- I'll, I'll spare everyone's identity. But I thought it was pretty funny because some were like, yeah, I was in Bishopric meeting. We were talking about stuff and like basically like first counselor says like, oh yeah, I had mine a couple years ago. The bishop's like best money I ever spent. And you're going down the line. <laughs> Appar- I think they're more common than we might assume oh, for something yeah. that has been perhaps... Yeah. more taboo. And no, not a single person told me they counseled with their bishop before getting one. That's what I thought was interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's been taken out, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's fine now, but right. I'm assuming all these happened before that change in the right. handbook right. happened. So all of you who got vasectomies at that time, you were sinning because you were not. Yeah. And you should uh, with your call bishop. your bishop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, for that. and talk to him about it now. <laughs> that, wouldn't that be the greatest conversation? So I really want to talk about something that's been weighing on my mind for the past few years. And I had a vasectomy. <laughs> so we've got some random news this week. Lots random of- is right, Jeff. We always say that, and yet we still have a grand, grand time. I don't even know where to start, though. I mean, is there anything you're most passionate about? Oh, you about? want to start with your, the heavy hitter, President Oaks, going to University of Virginia. Is that what we want to start That's with? That's right. He went there and uh, says, uh, the senior American faith leader said Friday during a landmark address to the University of Virginia, that the notion the nation's believers should respect legal efforts to protect people from discrimination as much as they desire to protect religious liberty. And as you've talked about a lot, Jeff, and and pointed out the the church, uh, I think that the the brethren have talked more and more about religious liberty in general over the last decade, two decades or so. And uh, this one sort of had a different flavor or different tone to the the address, sort of pointing out that. You know, fairness is still something they want to keep in mind and not looking to alienate a certain group of people in the name of religious liberty. What I think is interesting here is I think a lot of the time it's come off that like we're uh, we're trying to navigate LGBTQ rights without like sacrificing it. it. It never makes it seem like they're at parity necessarily. But he was stressing very much the like, no, like this is an this is people's religious liberty is super important. And also fundamental rights to other people are equally important when we still have work to do. But he was sort of elevating it in that sense to really drive the point home, home, the point home that these are equal issues that matter and we need to talk about them. And he also spent a lot of his remarks, though, really, you could tell he was almost tired of speaking about not religious freedom, but sort of the, uh, the great divisions we have in our society nowadays. He even took a break in the middle of his remarks, which people were not prepared for. He just kind of said, I'm going to sit down now and let you ch- just stretch your legs and then we'll we'll keep going in a bit. And I, I imagine most people in the audience were like, oh, okay. I was not expecting an intermission, but I hope we can keep the keep the drive going. I don't know what that was about, but- um, Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's, I, I think it's, uh, it's excellent he did this. I, I think a lot of people are kind of surprised. Oaks has- President Oaks has been very interesting the past few years. I think we've all been, I think at the same time, when we go back almost four years and President Nelson was coming in and President Oaks was first counselor, there were many on the progressive Mormon side who were thinking like, ah, geez, this is going to be like a by the book, pretty fundamental like regime. I think it's been anything but that, which has been fascinating to watch, regardless of anyone's personal feelings about it. And so President Nelson has proven himself to be very interesting in this regard. But President Oaks as well, who has, as you know, and you've tracked stuff, you've you've been smart enough to largely get off social media during general conference, but you know that there's been times (laughs) when President Oaks has given talks and people are like, 
they check out, right? Okay. Um, but lately he's been really just like, you know what I'm going to use my Easter address for everybody? I'm going to talk about political polarization until you all get your get your stuff together because this is right. getting out of hand and you need to figure it out. And he's still really railing on that. And I think he's probably tired of trying to hit the point, get on the point. But um, um, Jana Reese also wrote a piece about this. And before any of you roll your eyes, her piece was mostly like, yeah, Elder Oaks gave some good remarks. They were thoughtful and they seemed to be pretty balanced. I think her only critique, her only one, and you could, this might be, this is this is splitting hairs, I would say. But she said, you know, Oaks charted a path forward for both the advocates of LGBTQ plus equality and those that Oaks called people of faith. And she was like, it only seems like when you frame it that way as if they're mutually exclusive groups when they're not, mm-hmm. which I could, I can understand that again, splitting hairs a bit, but you could definitely argue like, well, it's people of faith can also be advocates of the LGBTQ community. It's not like they have completely competing interests. So I thought that was interesting, but, yeah. um, but she called a lot for the important, he called a lot for the importance of uh, talking to both sides. And uh, here's a good quote though, I think from, from Reese who kind of, she says basically, she thinks it's become most difficult. These are his words. Elder Oaks talks about it being most difficult because he recognizes how few Latter-day Saints there are actually like listening maybe to some of these words. He's become exhausted by the unprecedented rancor and worried about the tendency of each side to vilify the other. The deafness is on both sides. Many on the left have long since stopped paying attention to the careful distinctions Oaks was trying to make, saying the church has a right to religious freedom in its own teachings and practices, but it's also committed to following the law of the land. Liberals... Uh, burned by the church's, these are her words, church's repeated harmful actions towards the LGBTQ community like Prop 8 in California and the short-lived policy that denied baptism to the children of LGBTQ parents um, are not likely to trust the institution or its leaders on those rights anytime soon. Okay. But as she says, and and conservatives drunk with a particular approach to freedom that focuses wholly on the self without any consideration of neighbor or the greater good aren't listening either. And that's become especially clear, clear during the pandemic uh, when largely conservative saints in the U.S. have pushed back vociferously against church leaders who advise them to mask up, get vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you do have remarks very clear from Elder Oaks during the Q&A at the end when he was just like basically on that front stressing how frustrating it was for him that it's like, why are we... Why are people looking for medical advice from pol- from politicians? Like, why are you doing that? This is just a scientific issue, and we're going to listen to scientists and doctors. And it, he's like baffled on that front, which I thought was pretty interesting. So, um, anyway, yeah, well, I think this is like a good example of uh, you know how to uh, how to address an issue like this is polarizing, where you at least kind of let the other side of the issue, the other side of the argument know, Hey, I hear you. I, we're not trying to necessarily get rid of fairness, you know, fundamental fairness altogether. We want you to feel like good spot and we want, you know, just our religious Liberty and make sure that that doesn't uh, become under threat either. So it's a good model. Here's the quote, by the way, I love this one. So a question came from judge Tom Griffith, who is someone apparently I should know because his name is hyperlinked. And I I'm have a interviewed him, Jeff. Oh yeah, yeah. He's the. Yeah, he used uh, to be the uh, yeah. the legal counsel for the Senate or something. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's, uh, well, he's he's been on a Supreme. He's, Biden named him to a Supreme Court commission. So he asked him how we are living in a time of acute political polarization. And President Oaks actually said his his quotes were that he quote observed that some of, some of our most and he said I'm looking for the right word 
vexing problems come from mixing science and politics. What I see happening in connection with the masks that we wear, the inoculations that we receive is a certain number of people who get their direction on matters of science from political authorities. And he wanted to, he said that was something to be warned against. But he did say, he said, the church leaders have tried to warn our members not to make decisions about vaccinations based off of political loyalties or considerations, but on scientifically provable evidence, not political slogans. And he said, he had acknowledged, he said, we are, as a church, have not always been successful in like pushing this and explaining this, he said, but we're trying. And we are trying to combat the, the quote unquote false ideas that he says of misinformation online. Anyway, you can watch all of his remarks online. You can find them. I think it's very interesting that he gave these remarks. You know, maybe he just went to UVA because he wanted to comfort Bronco Mendenhall a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Really, right. Being toasted in, in you were Provo. loving that. You were loving uh, that. I was loving it. I was. Were people happy to see Bronco come back or they view him as a, I think they were happy. I was not able to to go to the game because it was, uh, I think, two o'clock in the morning when uh, when they played. But um, yeah, I think he was well received there. He was, oh, they, oh, they played in Virginia. No, they played in Provo, but it was an eight fifteen start, and um, yeah. Where where were you? I was at home. I you can't I, watch a game at eight fifteen at night. Well, the, but I get home at like two in the morning, and I have nine o'clock church, and I was speaking in church the next day. Jim. Let me tell you about late night shenanigans. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. Eternals last week, and I, I found I found a new method that works to see movies when I want to see them. This is this is the new. You thing. You go to a late show, right? My friends and I go to shows at 10 p.m. to watch three-hour films, <laughs> and we get home on. A, and but we go on Tuesdays because that's when AMC does the five-dollar yeah. Tuesdays. Hey, man, I'm there. But we get home at like 1 a.m. on a work night, but it's totally worth it. You know, it's just, hey, you just you I've done that several times. Yeah. I actually recommend Eternals, by the way. I know yeah, you're your, your full review, your non-spoiler review. Let's hear it, Jeff. Hard to do non-spoiler. I appreciate that they took some chances and got a bit out of the classic MCU template uh, as far as making the film and what it, just the story and the characters and what it was. I thought that was good. I don't think they always succeeded in trying to, in, with some of the risks they took as a film. Points for trying but it doesn't mean they always stuck the landing more or less, but I'll still get like a six and a half out of 10, maybe, maybe a seven. I will say this. If you go and see it, uh, I, I put this on our Twitter. There was a, on like screen rant, some YouTube channel. This guy actually did a good breakdown of all the biblical allegory in Eternals. And he like, he went very deep on it. And when you re- look at it through that lens, I mean, some of it is on the nose and even when you watch the film, but when he went through like layer by layer, about all these things, much of it's relevant to our doctrine as Latter Day Saints, and this, and that, especially like notions of agency and things like that. Seeing it through that lens actually made it kind of cool, and it made me appreciate the film a bit more because I thought about some of the smart work that was going on in that front. It's it's going to be divisive because it's a movie that makes you try to think about it a little bit more. It's not just like a rollicking Marvel time. It's kind of it's trying to be a thoughtful film. It doesn't always succeed. <laughs> trying to be right. It's trying to be right. It was fun. Right. Where are we going anyway. next, Jeff? Uh, since since just just to knock out any other vaccine stuff, folks, we don't have to talk yeah, too let's much. Get about that it. out of the way. But just just quickly, uh, sort of buried in the news about uh, Temple Square. The temple, it's come, we talked about it before. Temple Square is coming back for the holidays uh, in a much 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 lower key sense because when you see this beautiful map provided by the church that shows Temple Square and the church office building plaza, um, any of it covered in red is a construction area. And I don't think it's it's pretty much Kurt. I don't think it's too much to say, like the only walkable space that's not a building is like south of the tabernacle, the lawn between the tabernacle and the assembly hall, and like right around there. And that's basically yeah, it. I, 
all of this, the whole half of Temple Square that's that's given over to the temple is blocked off. They just started tearing down the North Visitor Center last week. So that's gone. They're redoing the plaza at the COB. So that's out of commission. I think you could still go in the Joseph Smith building, for example. And you can go yes, in the line. I was there three so, days ago. Mm-hmm. So you can do, there's activities and stuff. So things are going to be happening. Um, They've got a nice map that shows where some of the facilities will be, uh, even if it's going to be pared down a little bit in terms of the lights and what you can do. And that's great. Glad they're able to do something. But one thing quietly mentioned that we failed to discuss is that the church is actually requiring, requiring, not encouraging, requiring uh, anyone who's attending Temple Square festivities, indoors or outdoors, to be both vaccinated and wear a mask, which I... Given the things the church controls, like the Tabernacle Choir, those their own standards for their employees, things like that, it's interesting. But I do find it actually pretty interesting, considering they're not issuing such mandates, even in Utah, like for church services, that if you're going to come to Temple Square, you got to be vaxxed, got to wear a mask, full stop. And it says it applies to everyone who's eligible. And at this point, eligible means five and up. So... And so I this... I, but what are the options here on Temple Square? Because there's no... Mormon Tabernacle, or what, <laughs> this is where Kurt's hedging his bets. Like, well, if I'm not vaccinated, am I really missing anything? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it's it's not, <laughs> to me, it's like you can come stand in this uh, courtyard by the Joseph Smith Memorial Building and look at lights from look, a distance. They have, as they have experiences, Temple Square experiences include um, the Conference Center, the Church History Museum, the Family History okay. Library, right. Welf- mm-hmm. Welfare Square. If you want to travel, there's apparently some kind of Temple Square experience you can have there. Uh, the Tabernacle, the Assembly Hall, the Salt Lake Temple is being marked as one of the experiences. Uh, I don't know what experience that exactly is going to be. Like, here's an I-beam. Enjoy Christmas. <laughs> um, Church History Library, Relief Society Building. Have you ever been in the Relief Society Building? Have, Can the public yeah. go it's, in there uh, for stuff? I've never been in. I've definitely underrated. So, And the history of it and how it was built is, is fascinating. So definitely. They're running out of wall space uh, though, to put uh, pictures of the General Relief Society presidencies. But. They got to call them for longer, which is a shame because I believe Sister Bingham will be released this April. Has it been that long, huh? It'll be. It'll have been that long, so I'm assuming that's oh that's going to be it. It's happening. Uh, you know, you got Joseph Smith Building, the Church Administration Building. What experience do you get to have the Church Administration Building? You know, the largely locked down building that is reserved for general <laughs> I authority. I don't think you can get in there if you try. Why is that being included with an experience? What can like, you? No, what I is, have an appointment. I swear. No, sure you do, kid. <laughs> I mean, I've, you've, I'm sure you've been in there, Kurt, but I mean, I've I have not been, been inside it. I've walked you've never been in, You've never no. been in the, in the... Why would I need to go in that building? Because you're a heavy Other hitter. for my finger wagging that they Other do to me sometimes. I've been in there, Kurt. I can't have been you've, in there. You haven't been What did there. you go in there for? This is years before, uh, years and years ago. My mom and I went up to Utah for what was to be the last general conference in the Tabernacle. Conference I was, was there group. too, Jeff. We were in the same... I mean, it might not have been the same session, but... Did you go to the priesthood session by any chance? Because I was there for no, that No, I went one. to the very last session in the... We weren't there for the that direct. one. But so um, it was the next conference after that would be the inauguration of the conference center. So it was a fun opportunity to go up. My mom's boss at the time was Richard Worthlin, who was, who was uh, concurrently the owner of Worthlin Worldwide, a, a polling and market research firm. He was also the brother of Joseph B. Worthlin... And the brother of the other Worthlin, who was an MTC president in like 2002. Anyway, he was a general authority for a spell. And so my mom and him were always friendly. So he got us some tickets to some sessions. And I went in there because he got us to like, just want us to come like visit with them a little bit or something. So my mom and I drove down that, you know, the little interlocking spiral garage ramp they have. So we drove down there. Uh, (coughs) I love the parking lot because as you drive down there, 
It's like a, any old parking structure, except there's an area that's got glass walls around it, where there's it's, which is a, a the entryway of sorts from the garage, and it just looks funny because it's a garage. It's just a concrete parking garage, but behind the glass, it's all like nice carpeting, chintzy chairs, plush sofas and chairs, woodwork everywhere, the kind of decorating and style you would expect in one uh-huh. of our buildings. And there's a desk and stuff. It just looks funny because it's got glass around on all sides, so it looks like it's this little floating ornate lobby surrounded by parking spaces and stuff. Uh, and we, I remember we went in there, we checked in, we had to, you know, we were expected or whatever. And we had to wait. And while we were waiting, Elder Maxwell came out going to his car and he just like stopped and said hi to us for a second. We were like, that was cool. And I remember right outside the door, they've got 15 parking spaces labeled for each member of, of, uh-huh. of the brethren. You got the first presidency. Is that their code names though? The yes. <laughs> yes. Code. It's all their code names. Right. Uh-huh. There was just one that said Silver Fox. In that right, room. obviously. And it was you large actually, enough for Silver a plane. Fox, Silver, Fox wasn't, Silver Fox was not part of the fun yet, which you That's should right. know because he he came in because elders hate and Maxwell died. That's, so right. that's the conference uh-huh. he was called. But uh, So that was kind of funny. It was funny. They were all Toyota Avalon. So I'm pretty sure the church had some kind of a deal with that's some- the, I think every mission president drove They that were all driving Toyota Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyways, it's cool. So that's also you go in there and they just have offices that are nice little woody offices and we got to visit it. And this is a much longer story about that than I intended to tell. I'm sorry about that. So <laughs> we love your cool. stories, Jeff. It was cool to me. It was cool to go in there and visit him and he gave us some extra tickets. And my mom's uncle was also in the 70 at the time. So we scored different tickets and stuff. I got to go to lunch where the general authorities, you would have lunch between sessions. It's kind of wow, fun. You're like church royalty jeff you're That's all connected closest. and i'm more like icarus i flew very, far too close to the sun and <laughs> never gotten there since anyway so uh folks go to temple square for christmas they also included the brigham young historic park and the young family cemetery so so jeff wear a mask i don't i don't think they're enforcing anything by the way i think they're just telling you you have to be that right yes i, I yeah so Jeff, imagine you're sitting in zone conference there in Spain. Okay, do I have to? Did, did you have good zone conferences on your mission? I mean, yeah, by and large, were sure, they sure. lively? You're engaging, right? Well, I love them. President President Bowen would give PowerPoint presentations. It was awesome. Is he still in the seventy? He oh yeah, yeah. He's like a, a young buck when he I got keep waiting for him there. to get up there in the twelve before he ages out. Yeah, come on, we're running out of time. And then, and then you get more tickets and go to the administration building more often, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, Jeff, two gunmen robbed 70 missionaries Story's crazy. Uh, on Friday, kicking or hitting some of them and assaulting the mission president and his wife, a church spokesman said. The incident happened during a zone conference of the Mexico uh, Torreon mission in Torreon. The robbers entered the church meeting house with guns and a knife and demanded cell phones, tablets, and wallets from 13 sisters and 57 elders. Please. Local police were immediately called after the men fled the scene, and no one needed additional Medicare, medical medical <laughs> care. <laughs> also, no one needs additional Medicare. <laughs> right, All right. And political uh, people. Said, 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 said Sam Penrod. I, I don't read well. A church counselor is traveling from Mexico City to assist with emotional needs and other counseling options are also being made available. Parents are being contacted by the church, and missionaries are being encouraged to contact their families. So Jeff, this is, I just know there was, there's that elder or two who's just like sitting there thinking, I think I can take him. I think I can take him. <laughs> and the mission president just probably 
praying that no missionary tries anything funny. But anyways, that's a crazy story. I used to have dreams in in high school that like my school was taken over by terrorists and I somehow hid in the ductwork and I dieharded the whole thing somehow. (laughs) (laughs) All the more complicated Uh, because unlike schools in colder climates where it's like a building, I went to school in California, low slung, spread out, (laughs) separate buildings, outdoor entrances to all of them. You don't have hallways or anything. You know, it's just... um, I'm just glad they're okay. That's I yeah, cannot. That could have gone sour I, real fast. And like they and they did say like although yeah they're everyone is physically okay. The church is bringing in its counselor and uh, other professionals because I have to imagine there is absolutely the potential for some post traumatic <laughs> stress from that yeah, experience. I can't. I just can't. And I just think about like the the you mean I, those brand new missionaries who are just like trying to cope with this new life, with being in a different country, speaking a different language. And then this happens. It's like, man, you just can't win. But uh, and their, their naysayer friends are like, see, told you. Should have stayed here. <laughs> Worked at an MLM with me, buddy. That's Ooh. right. That's right. And Torreon even got had a temple announced in April. That's adversity, my friend. Man. They get a temple and then they get robbed. That's crazy. a crazy story. I've never, this was all over the news too. I mean, I don't think I've ever, we see tragedy. Thankfully this wasn't like, this, this was traumatizing, but not fully tragic because everyone right. is safe, ostensibly so at least. But uh, we, you know, we always get stories about this tragedies and accidents and things that happen to missionaries, but I've never seen anything quite at this scale, armed gunmen yeah. just storming a zone conference like this. Cause that's just, uh, it's not the only incident I believe. What's that famous story? Wasn't it when president Nelson was in the twelve? Or was oh, even yeah, earlier than that, was he was like, yeah, Mozambique. I interviewed he was in, actually he was in Mozambique or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? President Packard and his wife. I've interviewed them. Um, and uh, Sister Packard's her arm got broken, and they were like under assault, and she like snuck out and cried, called for help, and uh, yeah, it's crazy. So, so Sister Packard, like President Packard's daughter, Packard. who's Packard? That's not a name. It's Packer. No, the the mission president was. President Packard. No, it's Boyd K. Packard. <laughs> Boyd K. had nothing to do with this incident. <laughs> but this happened back in like, was it the 80s or something? Or the no, 90s? No, no, or? it was the 90s, I'm pretty sure. Or even maybe early 2000s. So That's, yeah. a, that's a crazy story. Speaking of uh, President Bowen, you know, my mission president, when he, he was a missionary in Chile and he was there during the Pinochet regime and he was actually kidnapped when he was a missionary. What? Yeah. Wow, that guy needs a memoir. He'd tell us that's. St- I'm surprised he hasn't written one yet. He worked in insurance. He's waiting though. for you to come. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a big gap of 30 years of just insurance sales, right? <laughs> just dominating the insurance landscape of Idaho Falls. Booyah! Speaking Control of, not to, not, uh, I mean, your tangents are good here, but I'm actually uh, almost okay. done with uh, President uh, Ballard's biography. I know you appreciate a good biography, Jeff. You've, you've picked that one up yet? No, I'm still reading the first chapter of the one about Eugene England that you sent me. <laughs> oh yeah, we gotta talk, Jeff. Come on, man. Apologize. Oh man, he, I really he, apologize. like that one. That I one just is... got, I got, I got so swept up in the Fresh Prince, and it just took <laughs> is priority. It streaming so. somewhere? Yeah, it's on HBO Max. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you're honest, Jeff. So, but that's over now. I have no excuse. I have no excuse other than <laughs> well. My wife and I are currently going through uh, Seinfeld, and uh, I just started doing some Seinfeld again too. Did you, man? Those yeah. early episodes were rough. I mean, they did not it, know what they were doing. I think it gets decent pretty quickly, but yeah, the, yeah. First, the first the first episode three the, it picks the, up. The, the first episode of the pilot 
uh-huh. it's like before they even brought on Elaine as a character, you're just like, oh, this is not yeah, this is funny <laughs> at all. Surprised it survived though. Well, I could spare you some interesting t- trivia about Seinfeld, but because um, you know the first season's only like four episodes long. Yeah, isn't it it's, like a pilot season or something? No, so it got a pilot, and then executives didn't know what to do with it. It tested poorly. They still aired it, and it did okay in terms of ratings, but no one knew quite what to do with it. But a couple of execs really believed in it and even tried to like lower fees and find ways to finance it because they thought they had something. And so they, got, they secured an order after that for a f- season of four episodes, which at the time, and I think still set a record for a sitcom for the lowest episode order for a season <laughs> in like television history, four episodes huh. for a whole season. So that's all they had for that. And then they only gave them like, seven or eight for season two and it does get better with season yeah uh, yeah season three picks up because at first time i'm telling my wife like it, it gets better i promise anyway. actually my real excuse for not reading the book is the great british baking show it's we're almost done with the season but <laughs> i think jeff's taking some truth serum here this is, he's, he's giving it all this, this is what happens this is what happens monday night i twim cool Tuesday night, we'll see how things go. Maybe I have some free time, but I've always got to get caught up on relative race, which is almost over. So that might, I might give my time to that. Okay. All right. Wednesday, I'm not exactly sure. Thursday, I don't know what happened. Sometimes I'm going to see movies at you know, 11 p.m. at night. So who knows? Friday, the baking show happens. That's a thing. And then by Saturday, I'm exa- then by Saturday, I'm exhausted and I've got to go to Bishopric meeting at 7 a.m. So on Sunday. So Man, what can I do? How do you do it? I don't. That's the thing. I don't. I right, don't we'll at least get through chapter two by the next time we talk. Okay, Jeff? Uh, it's just like the pages are really dense. Like there's a lot of words. This isn't <laughs> like Harry Potter. Po- it's, it's like it takes me a long time to read one. It's like reading Rough Stone Rolling all over again. I'm just yeah. like, how do I do this? Yeah. How do I? Well, you read it on a Kindle like I did, and then you don't realize how long the book is. You asked me how I wanted it, and I said Kindle is fine. and that's. But then you sent me a hard copy. No, no, no. You, nice you said hard copy or I don't know what. Anyways. It's right here, man. There it is. I have a Kindle. It's right here. Right there. That's <laughs> all good. Uh, interesting piece out of By Common Consent. We're leading into Thanksgiving next week in the United States. Um, not to disrespect our Canadian listeners who have already had their fun. Mm-hmm. But it's called Thanksgiving on the Tower of Ramiumptum. Michael Austin often writes very good pieces. I enjoy his writing style and the way things he researches. I love the way he lays the groundwork too. He reminds us as we read in Alma 31, the story of Ramiumptum, when they visit the Zoramites in the land of the land of Antionum, right? And how basically it's like a dream team of missionaries. Like you said, you, you really step back and forget who all went on this this trip, this outreach. And when you think about it, it was because the Zoramites, even politically, were at risk of sort of severing ties with the Nephites and allying themselves with the, with the Lamanites. So like geopolitically, this was also bad to say nothing of spiritually. So this is, so they're like, all right, we're sending a delegation more or less to see what's going on with the Zoramites. I mean, if you have many of you, I'm assuming have read Alma 31, but um, think about who goes, you got Alma Amulek. I love that Zeezrom's there only because, you know, it's a callback to chapters way earlier in the book when Zeezrom has his experience and converts. And usually in the scriptures, it's like, well, that was nice. Glad he had his positive experience. I just like that he's still kicking around. You know, it's kind of like the same thing like when, um, what's his face? The other Ammon? The guy who chases King Noah, but then he gets killed later on by somebody else. You know what I'm talking about? Um, isn't no, that Ammon? Amulet? Is it also another Ammon? Maybe it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But Zeezrom shows up, two of Alma's sons, and then three of the sons of Mosiah show up. This is like a murderer's row of missionaries who are going up there to see what's going on. I just love remembering how serious of a of a mission this was. Like, all right, we're not just sending, we're sending the experienced 
This is legit, folks. What I'm saying is we're not setting the second quorum of the 70 here. This is presidency of the 70 and above, people. We are getting in there to make this happen. Um, and so if many of you know the story. You know, the Zoramites famously built Ramiumptum, their great tower, where all of them, st- they waited in line, stood up there one by one, walked to the top of the tower, said their prayer, where they talked about how grateful they were, essentially that they were better than everybody else and that they were a chosen people, that they were, were going to be saved. They didn't let poor people in the church because wealth was a sign of righteousness. So they were all about prosperity doctrine, the Zoramites. Mm-hmm. And so the peace basically... He explains a lot of this, which we already know. But for the Zoramites, you know, life was zero sum in that sense. Wealth, wealth is a comparative value. It's only possible if some people don't have it, more or less. Michael Austin cautions us that it's also very easy for us in our own testimonies to think about the fact that, like, let's say here in the United States, his example is that he was blessed to live in the only tr- truly free country in the world, and that he was given the gift of belonging to the only church, the only true church on the face of the earth. Now, that's like true as far as doctrine goes, but you can see how that can slip into a, a Zoramite mentality. Like, I am so thankful that I have been born into this, the best place in the world, and I'm in the only true church, and I'm not, I wasn't born into some bad country, and I'm not born into some bad church, apostate church. I am extremely blessed. But he doesn't just stress on that. He just basically stresses the point of, is, is your gratitude dependent on pushing someone else down in order to get there? Or is our gratitude also all for show? Like I, me- I remember the uh, Give Thanks campaign last year was great, but we saw how, how we saw potentially how easily that could have become something where it's like, you're saying how thankful you are, but it's like, I'm so thankful for all my Insta followers. Like, you know, like, it's like, I'm so thankful. <laughs> like at some point you're thankful for stuff that's trying to set you apart to look good in a sense. And so he, he says one way maybe we can get around that as well is to also not just stress the things we're thankful for that are more exclusive, um, which I think there's nothing wrong with that. Like I am very thankful. I, I try to teach my kids this. Like I'm thankful that I have shelter. I'm thankful that I have potable water. Like I'm thankful that I have basic needs met. It's not because I am better or more blessed than anybody else. I'm just super thankful. I don't live in an environment where it's an issue that I can't even just drink water from my tap. And mm-hmm. that's not to say that's just an American thing. We know there's places in our own country where that's a problem, right? Like that's a thing. I'm thankful for that stuff. But also I can be thankful for things that aren't particular, that are they're everyday stuff that everybody has. I can be like, there's a poem he reads uh, from the poet Charles Reznikoff called To Doom, which me, it says, not because of victories I sing, having none, but for the common sunshine, the breeze, the largesse of the spring, not for victory, but for the day's work done, as well as I was able, not for a seat upon the die, but at the common, or the dais, but at the common table. Anyway, I so like the it idea. Safe to say that just being grateful for things that everybody gets that are awesome, like uh that's like also a good thing to be thankful for. The I mean, grace the Zor- of Jesus Christ and, you know, like, yeah. right? Be thankful for the grace of Jesus Be, th- I mean, be thankful, like, if the you have the gospel and be thankful for it, but obviously don't take it to the length of the Zoramites and be thankful, like, you are the chosen one oh, yeah, yeah. and others are hosed because uh, they're not, right? But yeah, be <laughs> yeah. thankful. Anyways, the, the piece is good. I'm not doing it justice from this discussion. Kurt didn't read it. So it's really just, uh, this is all we're going to say about not it. Not my right? style, Jeff. Not my style. But <laughs> That wasn't your style? <laughs> I, I don't I what does that do, mean? I'm just saying that this is not one of on, on the. I, I don't peruse that site very what much. What I'm trying no. to say is reading by Common's consent is beneath him. It is hey, not his style. Jeff said it. Okay, I, he's just picking up what I'm laying down. And I don't see you saying no. <laughs> so let's talk about Alex Boyer. Um, oh, that's that's a phrase I really rarely like to hear. But okay, 
What's up? What? Uh, let's talk about Alex Boyer. I'm not like on Team Boyer, but it's fine. This is a, this is okay. Uh, he recently uh, he posted on was this Instagram or something, but on social media, uh, sharing an experience where he <laughs> this, this was actually on. Sorry, this was on LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn. He shared this. Oh, yeah. there you go. He's networking. Uh, he said, I recently <laughs> lost a, a fairly big TV contract because after doing a background check on me, they they saw a past interview where I talked openly about a pornography problem that I had almost 20 years ago where I talked about how I battled it and succeeded. It was one of the toughest, loneliest, soul-wrenching battles I've ever been through. He kind of goes on to uh, to say that, you know, Rejection is only a temporary. It's only temporary. People get up, move on. Your tribe is always looking for you. So, um, and you read some of the comics comments, Jeff, and said, uh, "I mean, because I'm wondering what type, especially in 2021, what type of organization would even discriminate against such uh, past behavior?" Um, yeah, that's the question, right? And uh, there are many people who are just saying, like, "Please don't be BYU TV. Please don't yeah. be BYU TV. Please don't be BYU TV." <laughs> Yes, very interesting. But uh, you know, I, I appreciate Alex putting this out there and uh, and just mentioning that uh, you know there's something a struggle he had, and uh, hopefully more people can feel comfortable not only talking about past struggles but even current struggles and just find uh, community and help to to get through it all. So, Kurt, in your experiences, um, both as a both as a judge in Israel, as an executive in a stake, and also, but just like doing leading saints, uh-huh. I'm just I'm I'm not being I'm not always being sarcastic. I'm serious. Like, <laughs> okay. given the experiences you've had, yes, where do you think the line is on on being public about past transgressions and issues, in as much as they can be used? you know, for good as cautionary tales or as positive experiences of how to come out of stuff. But at the same time, we don't like to dwell on the past and things that are repented of. Um, like, do you have an opinion about that? Like if, if we should be more open about it, if we're just right, if I don't know, what do you think? Well, the way I see it is that if you can't articulate your brokenness, you can't articulate Jesus. Like you've rehearsed that line before, haven't you? It, is that in the is that in the book? Because that's a good line. That's not in the book. okay. But this is the reality is is that our we have a very difficult time talking about how we're broken and in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And when we avoid that, we also avoid talking about the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, right? And so, you know, sitting in a room where um, this happened just uh, yesterday at an elders quorum, uh, somebody mentioned their time in the addiction recovery. Um, program and another individual talked about the several years outside the church and how that impacted. They didn't go into a lot of details, but um, it sort of breaks my heart when people hesitate or feel like they can't be open and share about that. And uh, yeah. and especially leaders, because this is that's like a connection point for individuals. So I think I, rarely, I mean, rarely is it, uh, in my opinion, would it be inappropriate to not to not share, right? I mean, maybe if you're going to the <laughs> specific details of something that's sort of like, wow, we didn't need to know, you know, those things. But we do yeah. need to create a place that's uh, common for individuals to talk about. I was deeply broken. I was caught up in this addiction. I experienced deep trauma as a child that led me into uh, more addiction and and led me away from the gospel or whatever and, and how they came through that. Uh, but uh, yeah, does that help? No, it does. I mean, yeah. I would, I would love to be 
Uh, is it, speaking of Elders Quorum, yeah, like an Elders Quorum. I think Elders Quorum is a really powerful place for that. Just I, I don't know if this is speaking just as a man who goes to Elders Quorum compared to an environment like Sunday school or something like uh-huh. that. But I think uh, I think sometimes we struggle as brethren to be kind of emotionally open with one another in that kind of way. And spiritually, for that matter, too. I think that could be – I would love to be in a meeting like Because here's that. the thing, Jeff. Let me just throw this out there question, and I'm curious to your answer. In an average – say there's an average Elders Quorum. What percentage of them have uh, have looked at pornography in the last 100%. month? Oh, I was, I was say like <laughs> oh, if you're going to say ever, <laughs> sure. No, ever. I'm, I'm a, just yeah. as, a, as a quick aside. I am convinced if a man tells you he has never seen pornography and he has never masturbated, he is that he is lying to you, straight up. I don't think that. I, I'm just I'm just telling yeah. you. And it's okay. like we do, we deal with it, and we're and we're adults, and we deal with it. We and we follow Christ, and we get better. That's just an aside. Okay. But that's one thing. So, um, in the last many, month, would you in say the last month, that's really tough. Cause I just don't know. I mean, I wonder, and sometimes I even wonder if it's not as bad as it used to be because we don't hear about it like nonstop in general conference, like we did 10 mm-hmm. years ago when it mm-hmm. was sort of the cause du jour. Uh, I don't know if it's in the past month, I'd say it's probably 15% of the quorum maybe. Yeah. But that's, I, I have, I have nothing to base that off. Right. Of. Right. Nothing and right. I don't necessarily have, you know, there's no, statistics per se on this, but, uh, I, I would say close to 35 to 40%. And the reality is if somebody isn't, but you also have no way to back that up for is that what you just said? So we're both well, that, that's just my, just, you know, pulling a number. I'm not saying you that. I'm let's pulling be in that the middle. Let's be in the middle. 22%. Okay. There it is. All right, but the reality is, is that if an individual who's struggling with this in, um, in, you know, on their own in quiet and they're trying to overcome it by themselves, which, typically does not work. They will, uh, they, they'll feel like they, these aren't my people. Like they don't, they don't struggle like I struggle. So maybe there's not a place for me here. And so the more that people talk about their brokenness and whatnot, then, uh, that's going to create a, a safer space to do that. And I realize there's, yeah. you know, yeah. it's something that just can't start, you know, next Sunday, like, Oh, I'm just going to do it. Cause it has to be a safe place. And that's sometimes hard to, to orchestrate. But do you, th- this is, out there, do you ever wonder if um, the dynamic of Elders Quorum, since we're specifically talking about Elders Quorum, is do you feel like having combined Elders Quorum with the high priests is an inhibitor for that? Like, do you think there's we'd be more likely to be open if Elders Quorum were largely more of your own demographic age wise? I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah. at all, but I, I but I wonder, like, I've been in some meetings. Where it's fine, everything's mostly fine. But I look around, I'm like, I can't imagine us getting to that level because it feels like it's just people operating on different planes. And why would some of these younger guys who might have it, genuine things that they want to be open about be talking about it with the 60 year old high priests who are part of the quorum who just like don't? Yeah. I don't know. It's not like there's not togetherness or cohesion. I just I, I sometimes wonder socially if. Uh, yeah, possibly. I would say generally speaking, just that com- combination of the high priests and elders, I don't think has necessarily inhibited it anymore. I think it's simply that we've never seen it modeled. We don't know how that looks where individuals who, after you know several meetings with their bishop and relapses, then they finally go to like an addiction recovery program and they say like, oh, I see how this is done. But rarely do does the, the average church member go see how that's modeled. And so they don't know how to do it. When it's, uh, they don't know how to, you know, offer um, safety for that person of saying, "Wow, thank you for sharing that." It's more of like, "Okay, is he done talking? I'm just going to stare at the carpet and hopefully this we move on, right?" Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's inhibited it, 
because we never learned how to do it in the first place. Fair enough. Thanks, Kurt. Good thoughts. See, I, I, no, I knew you'd have a good thought. This, this is the stuff that, this stuff matters a lot more to me than, for example, the Tabernacle Choir's Christmas plan. Um, let's, yes, let's talk about they, that, Jeff. They have a Christmas plan, folks. Uh, real quick, this is mostly just a quick notice for you. Uh, there will still not be a, a Tabernacle Choir Christmas concert. There wasn't one last year. Or in person. Right? Not in person. But this year, they're going to do a concert. But it's going to be aired on PBS on December 13th. Uh, PBS will air 20 years of Christmas with their Tabernacle Choir, which I'm hoping means just celebrating the fact that they've done it for 20 years, not like a clip show that shows clips from the past 20 years and every now and then. I'd say expect a clip show. I don't like clip shows. They are a waste of of (laughs) airtime. It's when you can't... Anyway, it's like when sitcoms do the clip show every season. You're like, oh, geez, why, why am I... You just had to fill this. You just had to like, anyway. Um, but because of that, so just a broadcast, um, it'll still originate from the conference center. They'll still have guests too, which is which is terrific. They're going to have Megan Hilty and Neil McDonough, who uh, I was telling Kurt beforehand is a stand-up guy. So I'm glad to see him involved in this. If you ever um, look up the name, you've seen him as an actor. He's like a character actor. He's been around for 20, 30 years doing all kinds of stuff. He's always been around. So, that's 2021. Now you might be thinking, well, in 2022, things are going to get better, right? 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 We're going to we're going to beat this this COVID thing and we're going to get it so it's down to a, a non-pandemic level, a nuisance like the flu where we can get there. Let's all hope and pray and take actions accordingly. But lest you think a year from now things will be hunky-dory, the church is not taking any chances and the 2022 uh, Christmas program is actually going to be pre-recorded. They are going to be convening, right? I'm not, I'm correcting that, right? So, didn't we read this before? Why am I not seeing it right? Yeah, now? yes. I'm choir leaders also detail Friday. The choir's plan to record the 2022 iteration of their annual Christmas concert during several closed taping sessions next month. And sorry, it's the 2022 program that'll have Megan Hilton oh, yeah. and Neil McDonough. Sorry, yeah, because they next um, year they need something to broadcast on TV. They always broadcast last year's event and so this way they'll have it ready to go right (laughs) yeah yeah but um basically this means it's just going to be another pbs special in 2022 we are not diving in and being like all right we can do it in person again maybe we'll get lucky and they'll have recorded it and they'll still say guys i would guess that stuff's okay let's do it let's do the show live i guess in uh, in christmas of 2022 they will do an additional in-person Christmas concert and then they show might. this one on TV with because that's I probably so. their contract with PBS is like we need a Christmas concert that we can broadcast every year. It is fun doing Christmas concert recordings when it's well out of season, like years ago when I went to that Gladys Knight Christmas special taping for BYU TV. They did it here in DC because it was like September. It was like early September and I'm at the Lincoln Theater, but the theater's all done up Christmassy. You just forget <laughs> when you watch pre-recorded Christmas content that the people who did this, they did it months ago when right. we were still celebrating Labor Day. But the, <laughs> so everyone's just faking it, being yeah. in the spirit, but it's a good time. Uh, another quick one I'm going to throw at you here. Family Search well, let me, is, is a wonderful service, and they have announced some changes to how you can re- make temple ordinance reservations. If you're active in Family Search, uh, you know that despite it being pushed is something everyone can use, which they can. There's, It's also intertwined with church records nicely, and you can actually print temple, reserve names for the temple uh, and print cards and things along those lines. 
in order to do temple work for our beloved uh, dearly departed. Um, so, Kurt, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I sure have. When you're in Family Search, you find some cool family names. Somebody, you're like, I could do this. I've got, I could take this name to the temple. And then it's got a little hold on it. And that's some right. rando relative you've never heard of. And you start fishing around like, who is this person? And you see this constantly where you like you just can't reserve names because somebody else just grabs it. If a name is there, it's a free-for-all. Anybody can just take a name and decide to do it. And you can't just say, no, but I that was for me. I wanted to do that because it's meaningful. And they might be able it's meaningful to me. So the, they've announced that they are going to set a maximum amount of uh, reservations per user, 300 rows of reservations per user. That seems kind of high. Still seems very generous <laughs> to me. Right. I mean, unless you're, uh, especially if you're doing some of the higher level ordinances that are one by one kind of thing. I mean, if you're, if you're doing baptisms, I guess you could crank through those if you were pretty diligent <laughs> over the I course mean, of the year. Even if you were retired and you were going to the temple, what, like twice a month, once a week, maybe? I mean- I mean, once a week would be 52 times a year. Right. So, I mean, you're, it still takes a while to get through that as you're- Are you going to do, do six endowment sessions a week? Right. <laughs> and, well, I don't know. So I, I agree it is also higher, but part of it is because they are encouraging people to use the resources they have to do their ancestors' temple work in a timely manner. What happens is if you don't use the reservation in a year, it goes back to the open pool and somebody else can grab it, which is a lot of fun. You know, it's 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 just like trying to get, you know, the new OLED um, Nintendo Switch- or any number of video cards. It's just you're waiting there, just waiting for something to show up, and then you can grab that name. So uh, that's that's the main change. They're just they're limiting how many you can take, and otherwise they're going to be available for other people. I think it's a good change. I mean, yeah, I've seen people just hold on to names for a long time and never do anything with them, and it's kind of like, well, I would like to do something with this name, if you please, but they don't care. That's right. They never care, Kurt. They don't. Uh, what else we got? Uh, sadly, to report that the uh, South Korea temple president passed away. Uh, yeah. Let's see. He was uh, early 70, 71 years old. Uh, president Chiwon Kim, Seoul Korea temple president, on October 29th is when he died. He and his wife uh, had served as temple president and matron since November of 2019. Um, and I don't know if it gives any more details other than some of his personal history but lost another good one yeah it doesn't even mention uh, cause of death or anything like that which is their business of course but mm-hmm. curious minds uh, like to know uh, do you know who jorge coco is of course i do there right on my wall here is a jorge coco it's not original but jorge coco. Uh, yeah, he's great if you, if you don't know jorge coco he's an argentinian artist uh, he's a convert to the church he does. I want. It's not cubism necessarily, but he has. I love. He has a singular take on uh, the way he does his art. I love his art. I think his art's great. Yeah. It's been featured in some church manuals more in recent years, which is terrific. I'm glad to see us embracing artwork that is also kind of outside of the uh, what we expect right. to see yeah. in a lot of church things. Right? It's good. I was, um, I was blanking on the term. Greg, what's his face? You know what Greg I mean? Greg Olson, all, Jeff. You know, you know the all star types, which are beautiful paintings as well. Yeah. So I like Jorge Coco's style. The Daily Mail kind of um, mentions this. So he sparked, there was some religious controversy uh, a couple of years ago because, 
where was this? It was the cover. It was last year. Oregon, America's Oregon Catholic Press Magazine apologized because it used one of Coco's images on the cover, which was an image of the angel Moroni, and nobody <laughs> knew what it was. It's like, that's a cool looking angel. And they're like, this is not Catholicism. And they were mad about it, which I guess is fair. I mean, where's the wings? I mean, if we published our magazine and it had some kind of like very, you know, sacred heart of Jesus type thing on it, we might be a little, uh, what's going on with that? So, yeah. Understandably upset, but his artwork is now going to be featured on holiday stamps in the UK this year, I believe. Yes, the Royal Mail. So this year's Royal Mail stamps. Of course, it's the daily. This is a Daily Mail article, which I could have found a different source, but whatever. Daily Mail is the <laughs> Daily Mail. Okay, so so it goes out of its way to be like this year's person is someone who sparked religious controversy. I don't think he's the one who chose to put his image on a Catholic magazine. Isn't it the Oregon Catholic <laughs> press that sparked controversy yeah. by not vetting what it did? Someone said, Hey, we'll send you a check for your art. He said, Great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and he was like, That's 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 super done to my anyways. I think his uh stuff's great. I also want to commend though the person in the comments. There's very few comments. Well, there's a hundred comments. Most people say it's beautiful. This is really cool. Glad they're using them on the stamps. Nice choice. But I do like the folks who are like uh, the church is not the Mormons, by the way. That's a nickname. It's never the one they chose. They're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It would be good if that was corrected. It's also funny in that comment because Latter-day is not hyphenated nor does it have a lowercase d, but that's okay. We'll give them a pass. I just love I love our people flooding to the comment section to be like, nah, don't call it the Mormon church. We're not Mormons. We just get in there, man. We get in there. Right, that's right. Fixing the world through Facebook or wherever yeah. it was. So. Anyway. I feel great about our week. How do you feel about our week? Kurt? Oh, man. I mean, we've had worse. We've had better, but uh, I'll take it. This is, this is a decidedly average episode. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> With a decidedly average co-host. Happy to be here, Jeff. Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about me, which is absolutely fair. No, I I'm am, the co-host. You're the host. No, I think we're, we are we're co-hosts. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We're, doing uh, we're equals, man. This is not All like right. a subsidiary right. relationship or anything like that. You're not answering to me or... I answering to you. I I kind of do answer. You to can you, edit so. anything I say. So I won't though. This show is almost always edit free, people. Yeah, because we're we've been talking for ninety minutes, and look at how long this episode is. Now you people know. So, well, that's mostly because I had to go take care <laughs> of kids on the toilet. <laughs> we're about to record, and I have two sons who run downstairs. Dad, I have to use dude the bathroom, and one of them can take care of himself, and then the other one runs down says the same thing. I'm like, okay. And so Kurt and I are talking. I'm just waiting to hear yelling from above me. <laughs> all done. Nice. That's nice. You've all been, the, you, those of you with the children have been there. Anyway, folks, That's thanks right. for tun- tuning in this week. Uh, big thanks to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash this week in Mormons. Uh, you can, you can pledge $25 a month. And uh, in so doing, you will be the, the pledge the most of anyone in the history of this show. So that's what I'm asking for this week because it's Thanksgiving and this is my Rami Umptum. Give me $25 a month. <laughs> and Jeff will be grateful for it. Everyone update your pledges. All right. But thanks for that, folks. And for all of you who join us everywhere else where we get podcasts, we truly appreciate it. Can't do the show without you. Truly can't because you're the ones listening and that's why we keep doing it. Uh, if you fail to listen, then it becomes a vanity exercise and that's no fun for anybody. So also, please go to leadingsaints.com. Kurt's doing terrific work over there. Uh, yeah, it'll get you there. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> you, only did the, you only did the nonprofit thing like five years ago or longer at this point. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's Six been five. Ago. 2016 was 501c3. 
something like that. So go to leadingsaints.org, download the Leading Saints podcast. You'll find it wherever you get podcasts because it has a very garish logo and you'll appreciate it. I'm improving that. I'm just kidding. I've kind of warmed. I've kind of warmed up to it. Of course, yeah. It's better than my logo, which has the word Mormon and a picture of Moroni. It's just like outdated everything. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to shut you down, Jeff. They'll never take me alive. This week in Zion. That's what we're going for, right, Jeff? Twiz? Yeah, man. That'd be awesome. Twiz. Twiz. Twiz Nation. And you could like eat. The worst sounding thing I've ever Twizzlers could sponsor you. But I'm a Red Vines kind of guy. I can't do it. Sorry. All right. Sorry. All right. This is digressing. Everybody, thank you for being here. Kurt, I love you very much. Thanks for taking the time. Adios. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining, everybody. Talk to you next week. See you later, folks.